For they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. Whether you're in the room or online, we're just so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for joining us. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. We'd love to talk to the members of CTK for a couple of moments. One of the COVID casualties that we had was our annual family meeting. Normally happens in the first quarter of the year. Uh, we kept delaying delaying and delaying some more in order to be able to pull those pieces together. And as we continue to delay, we realized the end of the year was getting closer and closer to us. So I need you to save the date. If you are a member of CTK, December the 5th, after the Saturday night service in a couple of weeks, December the 5th, we're going to be both online and in person at this point anyway. And we would love to have our members come together because we have some information we'd love to give you. We have some proposed bylaw changes that we'd like to run by you. We'll have copies available for you at the church over the next couple of weeks so that you can take a look at those. Uh, if anybody needs uh, some great nighttime reading, we've got 19 pages of church bylaws for you to review. Doesn't that sound fun? So you can grab those if you're interested in that. But we'd love to have an opportunity to gather the family and talk about church and what it's going to look like and all those other wonderful things coming up. All right, completely shifting gears from business to the business of Jesus. I need you to keep this image right here in your mind for the next 31 minutes. It's just water and that's it, but just hold it in your brain because we're going to get to this eventually. In the meantime, let's talk about bears because we should just do that, all right? There are three ways to survive a bear attack according to the Canadian Fish and Wildlife Department. At least, that's what the government overseer of my tree planting crew told me years ago. I told you last week that in order to get through college, I tree planted in northern British Columbia, and we were getting a briefing on bears because we were there in late April. What they told us was this, the bears are both hungry and grumpy, and you should avoid them at all costs. But if you cannot avoid them, or one of them stumbles upon you while you're out planting trees, here are three options in order to save your life. Option number one, make yourself as big as possible, make noise with whatever you have, and hope the bear runs away. Here was my thinking on that option. Bears are already bigger than I am, and because they're bigger than I am, no matter how big I make myself, I'm probably not going to deter the bear. Plus, when you're tree planting, all you have is a shovel and some bags around your waist. So all I have is my little voice to make a big ruckus. I'm not sure the bear's going anywhere, so could I have other options, please? Option number two, and I am not making this stuff up. The government overseer said... If a bear starts chasing you, run uphill. When the bear is almost on top of you, turn around and run back down the hill as fast as you can. A bear's front legs are the same leg, same length as his back legs, so a bear cannot catch you if you run downhill. He will begin to roll because of physics. When the bear begins to roll, turn and run back up the hill so you end up at the top of the hill and the bear ends up at the bottom. Here was my thinking. 
are you kidding me? <laughs> and has anyone actually ever seen this work? That's what I wanted to know. I still wanted to know, are there other options? Option number three was this. Curl up in a ball and hug your knees and pray. Okay? I added the prayer part because I'm a Jesus follower. All right, here was my thinking on that option. Why is option number three exactly the opposite of option number one? And I remember thinking, maybe I should just go home. <laughs> now, let me tell you, there was a real threat out there. There were real bears in those woods. I saw them. And when you have no options, at least none of them that make sense, you are surrounded by three responses, fear, fear, and fear. That's how it works. And from that point on, every snap of a twig freaks you out because you not only have the reality of bears, but you've got the perceived threat of bears happening in your mind. The people of Israel in Exodus chapter 14 were surrounded and they had no options. There was an Egyptian army behind them. There were mountains on both sides of them. And there was an ocean in front of them. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, nowhere to turn but God. I think we can agree that the predictability of human behavior has been on full display in the past number of months. There's been no shortage of crisis and no shortage of response to that crisis. And in Exodus chapter 14, it's phenomenal to me that thousands of years later, we're res still responding exactly the same way they did in the face of crisis. They were facing mountains, water, and an angry army. We are facing COVID, the economy, and angry politics. Let's look at the similarities. When we are surrounded by crisis, the human heart gives in to a mistrust of God's plan. Let me unpack this for you just a little bit. Exodus 14, verse 4. Here's God's plan to a group of people who've been in captivity for 430 years. God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. So at first blush, it's just like, God, really? And God is going to gain glory for himself through Pharaoh and his army. That may be really cool, and that plan sounds fantastic if you're anyone other than an Israelite. I mean, the people of God just escaped from Egypt. They had endured centuries of slavery. They had just tasted the first sweet moments of freedom. And then God announces this plan. Let me paraphrase it for you. I'm going to make the guy who's held you captive for a really long time really, really, really angry to the point where he's going to change his mind about the emancipation that just happened. He's going to chase you across the desert and take you back. But it's okay, because eventually the Egyptians are all going to say that I'm God. Where can I sign up for a plan like that? Really, God, if you struggle to relate with this concept at all, let me ask you a question. In the past eight months, in the face of all that's going on, have you ever had a moment where you asked, God, do you have any idea what you're doing? We all struggle with a mistrust of God's plan. You know why? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Keep on going. Let's keep moving. When we're surrounded by crisis, the human heart gives into confusion and chaos. The story continues, and I think you'll find something to relate to in this. Verse number eight, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hahiroth opposite Baal Zephon. I'm absolutely positive, 
as that Egyptian army was advancing on them and the Israelites realized they had nowhere to go. I'm absolutely positive. Some of them were thinking, God, I thought you set us free. I thought we were on the way to the promised land. I mean, in case you haven't noticed, the people who were captivating us are now chasing us and we're surrounded by them and mountains and the sea. So what are you doing? What are we supposed to do with this situation? Where are you in all of this? Where are the angel warriors and the chariots of fire from Elisha's day? Who's in charge here? Why is this happening? When will you show up? Where's the deliverance? One more time, why is this happening? Sound familiar to anybody? Three people nodded. The rest of you are lying. Let's go deeper. When we're surrounded by crisis, the human heart gives in to fear and fatalizing. Verse number 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. I am absolutely positive the Israelites were thinking, okay, it's over. There's no promised land. God lied and we're going to die. That's how this is going to work. And none of our options seem to make sense. I mean, we could make ourselves bigger and make some noise. We could run up and down the side of the mountain and see how that goes for us. We could curl up in a ball and kiss our backsides goodbye. I mean, we, we, that, there are no other options. If you're struggling to relate to that, I wonder if anybody else in the room has heard language like this lately. This country's going to hell. <laughs> we are doomed. We're all going to die. Where is God in the midst of all of this? We're not done yet. Let's keep pressing in. When we're surrounded by crisis, the human heart gives in to blaming the leadership. <laughs> there you go. This is so not new, right? Verse number 11, they said to Moses, by the way, Moses was in charge. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? I'll tell you what, when we need somebody to blame and God doesn't appear to be around, who do we take a shot at? We take a shot at the leaders. Hey, Moses, we're having a referendum on your leadership. This is your fault. You led us to believe there was a plan. There is no plan. We believed you, and now here we are. We put our faith and our trust in you, and you led us out here to be slaughtered. It's always easier to pin blame on a leader, and we all do it. Well, I would have done better in that class if it wasn't for that teacher of mine. Those parents of mine, that company of mine, that government of mine, that spouse of mine. <laughs> Those grandparents of mine, those leaders of mine, that God of mine. Did anyone notice the common denominator in all of those statements? Mine. So much for personal ownership. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. This is thousands of years old, and, and we're still not done. Let's go one more. When crisis surrounds us, the human heart gives in to revisionist history. We just like to rewrite the past to make it fit our narrative. Listen to them do that in verse 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, they're talking, the Israelites talking to Moses. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I'm sure when Moses heard this, his response was something mature like this. What did you just say? You've been begging me to get you out of there for decades. 
You never said, leave us in Egypt. I can hear the mature conversation. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, no, you didn't. Has anyone else noticed that crisis makes people lose their minds? <laughs> we tend to rewrite history. I used to give my grandparents such a hard time about this. They called them the good old days. My history books called them the dirty 30s and the Great Depression. How did those two things go together? Crisis all around, but here was the reality. The Israelites were surrounded. The people of Israel were surrounded. And this is why I love my Bible. It deals with real people in real crisis, with real questions, and yet it always introduces hope. God shows up. God speaks to Moses. And the same God who spoke to Moses and the people of Israel are talking to me and you right now. The question is, are we wise enough to listen to what he has to say? God speaks a promise to them. He's speaking the same promise to us right now. I think we should pay attention. This is God's promise in the face of great crisis. Verse 13, God inspires Moses and here's what Moses says. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses says on behalf of God, this is my paraphrase, I know you're surrounded. I know you feel like you got pressure coming in from every single side. I know you feel like you don't have any options in the natural, but I want to remind you, I am God. I'm not limited to the natural. I live, exist, and run the supernatural. So don't respond in natural responses of fight, flight, or freeze. Choose the supernatural response of faith. I know this to be true from the depth of my being because I've experienced it. Faith can allow you not to be afraid in the face of fear. You may still feel afraid, but feeling afraid and being afraid are two totally different things. Faith can allow you to not be afraid in the face of fear. Faith can allow you to stand your ground when all you want to do is run. Faith can believe that deliverance is coming when there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. It's like God is saying this. A declaration of stillness. I will not be afraid. I will stand firm. Deliverance is coming. I think we should say that together out loud. You're like, I don't feel it like it, Grant. <laughs> it's good for you, just try. Okay? Can everybody say that declaration with me? I will not be afraid. I will stand firm. Deliverance is coming. We're looking around, we still don't see any, any other options. I mean, the Israelites were still in their very real circumstance. Mountains on both sides, Egyptian army behind them, nothing but the Red Sea in front of them. And this is what God says. Repeat after me. I will not be afraid. I will stand firm. Deliverance is coming. Now I know some of you are like, really? Thank you so much, Pastor. Another happy, clappy piece of inspirational wall art for my house. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Can we hold on for just a moment? God and Moses are not done speaking yet. 
I want you to listen to the end. Because in the end, we see such a beautiful picture that I believe will sustain us through these days that are in front of us. As we face Thanksgiving and Christmas that appears to have been turned upside down, let me say it again. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then here comes the rest. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Let's deal with the first part. Who's fighting for you? God himself. Not just the army of heaven, the commander of chi in chief is fighting as well. That's important. The commander in chief is not safely on a hill supervising the troops. He's not in a bunker out of harm's reach. He's not tucked in heaven watching everything on an ultra HD TV. No, the Lord is in the center of the battle fighting for you, sword in hand, white horse. If you need a description, read Psalm 18 and Revelation 19. You will never be the same again. And don't miss the inflection. God is fighting for your tired and scared heart. He's fighting for your miracle and your hope. God is fighting for your belief that he's actually fighting and he's actually winning. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, if your response to you need only be still is awesome. All I have to do is stand like a stick and do nothing because Jesus is going to save the day. I'm going to put up my feet and chill. That is not what that means. Let me give you five incorrect assumptions about being still. These are important. Incorrect assumption number one. When I hear the words, you need only be still, it means I don't have to do anything. Don't go passive. Don't go passive. Don't slip into, I don't have to do anything. God's going to take care of all of it for me. You have a responsibility in these moments to stay active in your faith. The reality is this, the Israelites were facing opposition and obstacles. They were completely surrounded. And God's call in this moment was a specific call to trust God's way of escape, even when you can't see one. Even when you can't see one. What they needed to do was stand firm and trust through their fear. This was not a call to apathy. It was a call to actively respond to God's specific guidance, which, by the way, hadn't even shown up yet. God was not just asking them to be motionless. You know how I know that? Because the very next thing that God calls them to do is step out. There's a moment, it's a breath. It's just like, be still, now we're going to move. Be still is not perpetual. This is not just throwing your hands up in the air and saying, God's got this, I don't have to move. No, God does have this, but he's going to move you. Here's another incorrect assumption. Number two, God's going to do everything. God will take care of it. At least he better. That's his job to look after me. That's not right. God wants us to respond in faith and obedience in those crisis moments so that we can act with him. Can God do everything? Absolutely. Does that absolve us of doing something? Absolutely not. I heard this this past week. God is calling us to experience his goodness as we face what's bad with the one who is fully good. Here's a third incorrect assumption. I should be mute and say nothing. You need only be still does not mean you have to be silent. 
In fact, I think this is a good time to speak up against evil. We just have to be careful how we do that. Proverbs 10 verse 10 says this, people who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. There are times to be silent. The Bible often orders God's people to be silent. And for those of us that are verbal, that's tough. It's like biting through my tongue. But we also need to understand that when God says you need only be still, he always reinforces the need for a vertical conversation before we ever host a horizontal conversation. I heard this line this past week. I think it's so powerful. In these days, the people of God should not be just another barking dog in a kennel gone crazy. Instead, we must pause, wait on God, and when crisis creates silence in our broken world, then we speak, not of us, but of him. Somebody say amen to that. Number four, incorrect assumption. Pain's not a part of the process. I think some of the Israelites thought that getting out of Egypt was going to be easy. Can I tell you something? Freedom's never easy. Anything that's free and easy holds little value over a lifetime. In fact, I believe this to be true. Nothing without pain is ever precious. Jason Schechterly is a hero to me. I met him via video this past week. Not in person. I just heard his name and his story through my friend J.D. Phillips, and I was just so intrigued. Jason Schechterly dreamed his whole life of being a police officer, and in his early 20s, he became one of those heroes that looks after our community. He realized his dream, and then one night when he was on shift, he was hit from behind by a taxi driver who two miles earlier had a seizure. The seizure made the taxi driver's body go rigid. He pinned the gas pedal to the floor and had two miles of ramp up. They still say we have no idea how that car stayed on the road. The car was going in excess of 115 miles an hour when it hit Jason from behind. The car exploded in a fireball and Jason was consumed by the fire. His skin literally melted off of his body. His bones were shattered. But he lived because there just happened to be a fire engine right around the corner from where the accident happened. 50 surgeries, multiple amputations, so many skin grafts that Jason lost count. Day after painful day after painful day. And as I watched his fire-scarred face give testimony to his life, I was so amazed that his response was to celebrate. Jason has a motto that he wishes everyone would live by. Don't let the pain of today steal the promise of tomorrow. Let me say that again. Don't let the pain of today steal the promise of tomorrow. Jason actually ended up going back to work as a public information officer. And now today he's a motivational speaker that speaks through his discomfort to people and pleads with them, don't let the pain of today steal the promise of tomorrow. On his arm, the forearm of his right arm is a tattoo that says this, 
Sometimes the most beautiful inspirational changes will disguise themselves as utter devastation. The people of Israel are utterly devastated. They have nowhere to go and they can't even add up the equation. God, why did you bring us out of Egypt to pin us here against an ocean, an army, and mountains on both sides? What are you doing? We'll come to that answer in a second. One more incorrect assumption about just being still. The plan of God is both easy and obvious. That's just incorrect, isn't it? (laughs) The people of Israel at this point can see two parts of life, their pain and their plight. When we can only see our pain and our plight, we get stuck only focusing on our plan, not his And so they have come to a conclusion. This must be the plan. We're going to stand here and get crushed because there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide. What they didn't know was this. There were not four options. There were five. So if you need only be still is not about these false assumptions. They just gave you five of them. Then what is it about? Well, this is where the Hebrew language is such a beautiful gift to us. The Hebrew language is a picture, not just of words, but of pictures. The word picture of the original language of be still has been living itself out in front of you for the last 27 minutes. It's a picture of water not being moved by wind, current, or sound. It's just still. When God says you need only be still, it's an invitation. It's a choice to enter into a deep and momentary quiet calm attached to the Prince of Peace, saying, I don't see a fifth option, but I'm going to trust that there is. Be still is a choosing of strategic deafness that I choose not to listen to everything that's happening around me. Because this is how the thinking goes, doesn't it? This crisis is too big. These worries are too stressful. This enemy is too intimidating. God says, be still. So they have to choose. I'm going to close my ears to the noise of the enemy. I'm going to tune out the noise of the condemnation that says you're not big enough to fight. I'm going to refuse natural responses of fight, flight, or freeze. No, I'm going to have faith in a God that is fighting for me right now. I'm I'm going to become as still as an undisturbed pond first thing in the morning at daybreak. And I'm not going to allow the current of culture to get me all stirred up and angry. I'm not going to allow the wind of popular opinion to blow me this direction or that direction. No, I'm going to choose to find shelter under the wings of an all-powerful God. I'm going to actively place my faith and my trust in Him. I'm going to believe that even though I can only see four options, that because God is God, there may actually be five. Earlier I had you do a a declaration of stillness. It was not complete. So let's finish it now that God and Moses are done talking. I'll say it and then you can say it with me. I will not be afraid. I will stand firm 
My deliverance is coming. I will choose the peace of God. I will close my ears to any sound other than his voice. Let's try it together. I know some of you still aren't buying it. Trust me, just see what happens if you let it come out of your mouth. It may actually make an 18-inch drop right here. Let's say it together. I will not be afraid. I will stand firm. My deliverance is coming. I will choose the peace of God. I will close my ears to any sound other than his voice. Completely still. In preparation of of moving. So put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites for just a moment. Exodus chapter 14. Mountains on both sides. Egypt behind you. (laughs) Nothing but water in front of you. Maybe even for a second you've turned around and you're staring right at the army going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then God says, you need only be still. So you actually do it. I know it's crazy, illogical, but like, okay. God, I'm listening. What if you heard this next? Turn around and face the ocean. And then the pillar of cloud that's been leading you for days suddenly splits in half and wraps itself around the back of an entire nation so that they're not surrounded. I might feel like I'm surrounded, but now I'm surrounded by you. And a cloud comes and completely encircles them. And it's completely dark on the other side of the cloud where the Egyptian army is. And it's completely light inside of the cloud. And then God begins to do something crazy. He breathes out and wind begins to kick up against the side of the ocean and the water does something crazy. Instead of just sitting still, it starts piling up on both sides and all of a sudden you can see whales and fish. It's like there's a wall of glass, a wall of water on both sides and there's a road that goes right down the center of it and the road is not wet, it's not even damp, it's completely and totally dry and you're sticking your fingers in the water on the side going, that is just crazy. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy. I mean it's just an incredible story as the water begins to pile up and Moses lifts his stick and then he does something nuts he steps out and everybody follows him there were not four options there were five we are not surrounded by an unconquerable foe. We do not have four options right now. We serve the God of the fifth option. You can't see a highway? There's a highway. Good news, you're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. He split the sea so you could walk right through it. And he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. He will never change. And the same thing that he said to the Israelites, we have got to cling to right now more than ever. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still.
My prayer is that all week long, anytime you see any liquid just sitting quietly, that you'll go, I know what that means. It's an invitation to step, to step towards the God of the fifth option and to believe that if he can save the entire nation of Israel, I'm absolutely convinced he can take care of us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for the beauty of who you are. The gift of your word, Old Testament and New Testament. God, I thank you that over thousands of years of history, that, that the predictability of human behavior is unchanged, but so are you. So God, as we face these coming weeks, and it feels like restrictions are, are pushing in on us. God, I pray that instead of fight, flight, or freeze, that we would choose faith. Because we are, we are surrounded. And it may look like I'm surrounded by opposing forces, but the truth is, God, I, I'm surrounded by you. So God, may the Shekinah glory cloud of the Old Testament surround your people as we choose to be still. God, may we be unwavering with an anticipatory act of faith that simply waits for the word. Step out. Start walking. God, may we not be caught up in incorrect assumptions. May we not be passive. But may we actively follow the God of the Israelites, the God of Whatcom County, and the God of every heart in this room and online today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your peace. May it hold us calm and steady these coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.